Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Amazing part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that has off days like any program does, but knows that blaming an off day on an injury, a half inch of snow, or having a mild case of the flu is the behavior of a coward and should be treated as such. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com, coming to you solo for the first half of this pod, as my better half is off enjoying some much-deserved relaxation and sunshine right now, where I imagine he's posted up in the corner of a pool with a rum-based cocktail, watching Al Borges break down TCU's jet sweep against the Baylor. So, hope he's enjoying himself. You got me for the first half of this. He will be here in the second half, where we are going to break down the upcoming matchup against TCU this Saturday. Been waiting to get this one on tape. Really excited about that. Uh, recorded that one last week while he was still in town, and uh, that was a back-to-back podcast session. So if the energy trails off towards the end of that one, you'll understand why. Uh, but now got some quick hits that wanted to touch in the first half of this podcast. Let's start over with basketball, where I was fortunate, unfortunate enough, I don't know, depends on how you look at it, to watch the North Carolina 80-76 to victory over Michigan in the Jumpman Classic. This game frustrated me, not just because of the game itself, because that's now, what, four wins that we've just really snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. 
could have won another one of them. Another ranked victory that we just completely pissed away in the last couple minutes. Late game execution comes back to haunt them in this one and starting to become a trend here. Um, I'm not in the Juwan Howard can't coach camp. A lot of people are in that camp. Uh, This is still a very young team, so it makes sense that they're struggling late in games. But that needs to be cleaned up, and it needs to be cleaned up sooner rather than later. So Michigan in this game, very aggressive. Uh, I liked what I saw. Like They came out with the mentality that they were going to get into the paint, that they were going to get North Carolina into foul trouble, and they did. Baycott was in foul trouble early in this one. but they weren't converting a lot and it didn't really matter. So the second half of this thing, let's jump forward. Uh, it's, it's really tight. Uh, Michigan's actually up at most of the second half, but then we go six minutes in the second half without a field goal. And we're only down, what is it? Three, we're down four back and forth here towards the last few minutes of this. And it's really tense. It's a really tense last couple minutes of that game. And it seemed like Michigan just kind of didn't, have an identity. Didn't really know what they wanted to do there. Um, it was, you would think it would be Hunter Dickinson time, but he wasn't really calling for the ball, kind of had a meh game in this one. Um, so it was actually like Bufkin minutes. It was Doug McDaniel minutes. And it was like, man, I'd like to see Jed Howard and, and Hunter Dickinson get touches down there, down the stretch. Um, so yeah, like who wants to be that guy? late in the game. And I I think the best guy at getting his own shot right now is Jet Howard. So I would have liked to seen him late in this game, but it was really the defensive end that lost this against North Carolina Uh, late in this game. uh, The the execution on defense, you get caught switching Dickinson turns his back on the ball handler. And I think it was love um, drove to the basket. And after that, with like 50 seconds left, you're down by four and you can't really come back from that. Um, It's just like I said at the beginning of this, it's just becoming a pattern now where Michigan looks like, yeah, they they can compete with the Virginias and the North Carolinas of the world. But late in the game, it's just the execution, the execution on defense, um, the lack of identity on offense, like actually running plays, not having Jalen Llewellyn does hurt from the sense that like he was supposed to be the guy that got things organized and it seems quite disorganized especially late in games. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, while we lauded, Andy and I lauded the maturity that he had shown coming into this season, that is like comparative maturity. So, I mean, that is comparing Hunter Dickinson of this year to Hunter Dickinson of last year, which I'm pretty sure he was like waking up and beer bonging a a 12-pack of Bush Lights last year. So, like, this isn't a huge improvement. He's still out there like talking his mess on the podcast and then coming out and having just kind of timid performances. Like he doesn't want to be there. I mean, supposed to be a Naismith caliber player, potential player of the year. Hasn't really shown that fire uh, that he even wants to be that. I mean, he certainly still celebrates and does his big Dickinson energy celebration, but as far as being an on-court leader and, um, you know, having those nights where it's like, Hey, we're not losing tonight because I'm going to be the best player on the floor. I haven't really seen that. So I, I tweeted this and then I deleted it because I don't quite have the point yet. I haven't landed the plane on this. But to me, Hunter Dickinson is Taylor Lewan. Like physically as gifted, as dominant of a player that we've had. Um, definitely good, like really good. There's no denying that Lewan was good. There's no denying that Dickinson is very good. Probably going to win some accolades. Taylor Lewan, really highly regarded, um, drafted, I think like seventh overall. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know about Dickinson's draft stock. That's neither here nor there, but going to be one of the more prolific scorers in Michigan history when it's all said and done, especially if he comes back next year. But for me, and this maybe is just a personal thing, won't be like beloved for me. I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not a Hunter Dickinson guy. I like Hunter Dickinson. Part of it is like stylistically, I want my centers to play a little bit more defense. I'd like some rim protection from a seven footer and that's gotten a lot better this year, but no one would call it elite. Uh, I'd like some more leadership for a guy that's supposed to be potential Naismith caliber player. I'd like, you know, where's like the 30 and 15, 35, 15, you're not beating me tonight, Hunter Dickinson nights. Um, is some of that because we're trying to get shots for other guys? I mean, is, is that necessary? We could probably just allot all of our shots for Dickinson and Jed Howard at this point and, and some Buffkin shots. But it's uh, it, it's getting to the point where I, I'm, be, I'm becoming a little concerned. Granted, you know, with football in the playoff, it is not really a concern. It's more like a mild irritant. Like I have a, a rash, you know, underneath my, my left armpit. Like, yeah, this sucks. I'm mildly annoyed, but am I going to die from this? No, it's basketball. It's still early. We're still hanging tight with these good teams. Just got to find a way to get over the top. All right, let's move over to early signing day period where on December 21st, 23 new student athletes committed to the 2023 recruiting class. That's going to be good enough for a top 20 recruiting class, according to 247 Sports, Rivals on 3, ESPN. They've all got it as top 20, right around 17th, 18th ranked class, no matter how you slice it, which is pretty good given where we were looking. It's about where we expected. couple names, a uh, couple five stars in there that we were maybe hoping to get one or two and push this thing into the upper teens. Didn't end up happening. I think we're okay with it based on what happened in the transfer portal as we touched on in last week's pod. But let's kind of get into this early signing day class, which I'm excited about. A couple guys uh, that we, we weren't really expecting to get. And first one is going to be 5'11", 185-pound uh, Carmelo English. The wide receiver set single-season school records for receptions and yards, had a 1,000-yard uh, season and 18 touchdowns. I think that was his junior year. So a speedy wide out, 5'11", maybe six foot, uh, immediately becomes top two names on the team. Like him and Cole Cabana coming in is just strong name energy early out of the gates. Carmelo English, and I've kind of been vocal in my desire to get back to a few bigger bodied guys. Like you can still definitely have guys like this, and I love having speedsters out there. That's wonderful. But I would also like some bigger bodied guys. So that means just probably not your number one receiver. Probably fills that Ronnie Bell role um, or Ronnie Bell of yesteryear role. Maybe some Jeremy Gallon action for the old heads in there. But really, really fast. Uh, adding speed to the team. Great name to the team. This was a get we weren't expecting to get. So I was excited by that and wanted to, to mention that. Plus being a four star really helped to push our rankings up. Another one that we weren't sure about, uh, just because he really kind of pulled the old rope-a-dope, and that is four-star cornerback Jair Hill, six foot two, 170 pounds. This is a top 200 recruit. He's number two in the state of Illinois. Uh, was listed or was trending towards Michigan for a couple months here and then puts out a top four where he does not include Michigan and did include Mizzou, who he had not visited or, as far as I know, even been in contact with. 
this was just a rope-a-dope. And, uh, you know, look, I could get upset about it and be like, how annoying. I don't care. He's at, he's at Michigan now. Do whatever you want, dude. Like, welcome. This is a huge get. We get another hill at cornerback following in the uh, Delano Hill, uh, Lavert Hill lineage not related but nonetheless good to have another hill back there and like those guys over six foot speedy athletic this is one you should get excited about and now with Keon Sab, Zeke Berry and Will Johnson you know you got these guys back there it's like do we need a cornerback transfer they they might be good I mean it's counting on some guys that we don't know much about yet uh, or know anything about yet at the collegiate level but they're, the bones are there, especially with, with Zeke Barry, Keon Sab, and now Jire Hill, those three names. These are these are players that you expect to develop. And Hill's tape, I actually did get a chance to watch because cornerbacks excite me. And uh, yeah, it's like, it's highlight footage is basically what you're seeing. So I don't want to read too much into it. But Jire Hill at 6'2", more likely 6'1", is a big body cornerback that can move. He's fluid. So think like, Benjamin St. Juiced mixed with Lavert Hill. Like this is this is an exciting player. So I, I look at what we've got in the secondary, and I'm okay that that position kind of got glossed over in the transfer portal because I think we've got the guys on on campus to do it with Jair Hill now. So that's a really exciting get. Also being a four-star helped boost Michigan back up in the rankings. Uh, the two tight ends, Deacon Tonielli, uh, apologize if I'm saying that incorrectly, and Zach Marshall. Zach Marshall to me looks like a defensive end. I can't explain why, but he also just has this like sneaky villainous grin and he's massive. So I just, that guy would scare me if he were a defensive end. Both of these dudes are big. Deacon Tonielli is 6'5", 230 pounds. Zach Marshall about 6'4". A lot of room to grow into both frames. And Deacon is being mentioned as like another Colston Loveland by this staff. And at this point, why would you even doubt them? Like every time Michigan goes and gets a tight end, they're turning turning Sean McEwen into a multi-year NFL starter. Like what are they going to do with Deacon here? Dude's probably going to be Greg Kittle or George Kittle, excuse me, in like two and a half weeks. So... Of course, I'm excited about these two and wanted to touch on them just because anybody we're getting at these positions are really, really set up for success. And Deacon being a four star, Zach Marshall's a three star, but just like looks the part. Um, I don't know why I've just got a weird vibe that he's moving to defensive end. I have no intel on that. Just looks like a defensive end. So really excited about this pair and kind of like where it's like, uh, you know, did we need a transfer? We did get a transfer from uh, Indiana, but you can see the future now. Like don't need another one next year with Loveland. And then some of these guys we've got coming in. Uh, Keep on moving down. Two other guys really excited by excited by the uh, duality of man that is evidenced in the two linebacker commits. Samaj Bridgman, Hayden Moore. Samaj Bridgman, number six player in Pennsylvania, consensus four-star. He's been committed to Michigan for a while now, one of our longest standing commits. So I like the guys that commit early and stand the test of time. That's more rare. Like there's a lot of waffling and wavering in college football commitments now. I mean, that kid from Oklahoma and Oregon that like, committed and then decommitted and recommitted in the same day like bro you're not even honoring your own commitment i think we need to not call it a commitment anymore because the uh the word itself has lost all meaning so props to bridgman for sticking around really good player as well 
Um, kind of got some of the the Josh Ross in him, if I had to compare, based on the highlight footage that I watched of his huddle tape. But looks good. Looks to move really well. He's 6'2", so a little bit on the bigger side as well. Um, and then Hayden Moore, who is the tackling machine. He's Colorado's leading tackler in 2022. I would hope so, because he had 197 total stops, 95 solo. He averaged 16 and a half a game. Look, if you have a 16 and a half tackle game, it's getting brought up on ESPN, and this kid did it week in and week out. So that's just a really fun linebacking core that we brought in here, like the speed and the hammer. Like, I'm into it. I'm into both of these guys, and I think that's that's a really fun pairing. Uh, another pairing I like, let's go to the offensive line, where you've got uh, Amir Herring and Evan Link, who I both think are going to be huge, huge foundational pieces for the offensive line. Link looks like a, an absolute stud tackle prospect, 6'6", 305 out of Virginia. Herring, most likely on the interior at 6'3", 300. Herring's been committed for a while. Link's been committed for a while, too. So, Again, kind of like legacy commits, not in the sense that um, they have family here, but in the sense that they've just been here for longer than a few months, been commuted, committed for longer than a few months. And huge, huge players. Link is 6'6". Uh, I, get the, I get some Ryan Hayes energy out of him, even though Hayes was recruited as a tight end, just like the, the build now. And part of that is a lot of these guys look like this coming in and they need to get into that Ben Herbert strength and conditioning program, but he kind of looks like a tight end right now. So maybe that's where I'm getting that, but also stands about six, six, um, maybe six, five, but could definitely play tackle could kick inside to guard. I mean, not that dissimilar from Keegan's size. And we saw we were able to move Keegan around a lot. Uh, Herring though, at six, three, 300, most likely is going to be left guard, right guard, just the next guy up. I mean, we get every year there's like a four-star guard that's just kind of unheralded. And it's like, yep, that guy's going to hit. Like Amir Herring's going to hit. I, I feel so strongly about that. I think Evan Link is going to hit. I mean, the hit rate chances on these guys are probably higher than anybody else, uh, partly because of A, the position they play out, the success that we've had there. And B, you know, four stars, um, a little bit easier to, to see what – the coachable traits that you want, like what you want to get out of that player, I think on the offensive line, um, maybe is a little bit easier because you're not expecting them to start right away. You usually get four to five years with them. It's more of a project. Can I mold this guy into the vision of what I see a Big Ten offensive lineman, a Michigan offensive lineman looking like? So I think your hit rate's a little higher. I, that's not based on anything. It just seems that way. It seems like we hit on our offensive line. Um, I mean, it wasn't always the case. I, I certainly remember the Ben Bradens and Eric Magnusons of the world, horse diet Ben Braden. So we've come a long way. But under Harbaugh, it just, if you're putting a percentage on it, 70% chance that these guys hit. Um, other than that, I think I, I just overall, tw top 20, it's 17, 18, however you want to slice it. I think it's a really good class. I'm really excited by the class. A um, couple other guys I want to touch on. Eno Etta, the defensive lineman, 6'5", um, out of Texas. Kind of wavered a little bit. There was some talk that maybe he might decommit. He stuck it out with Michigan. Cole Cabana, who's starting to get some uh, some real talk. I love our boy Jimbo had a discourse going online about Cole Cabana. Uh, the speed is certainly there. I'm a little bit down on him coming in and being the number two back as a freshman. Uh, he's listed at 180 pounds, which means he probably weighs 165. 
or 170. We'll give him 170, you know, since uh, it's post Christmas and he likely has been well fed. But I'm a little concerned about that guy coming in next year, but is just like a player. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm certainly in on the Cole Cabana experience. Why not? I uh, already mentioned Link and Herring, uh, Bridgman, Nathan Afobi, interior offensive lineman, another one that I'm pretty high on. Uh, the cornerback, Cameron Calhoun, just a great name. And I like the way he plays. And it's usually a guy like this. Like if you want to bet on who's my Rod Moore, um, who's my, you know, Hassan Haskins, who's the guy that like, wait, what? I forgot that guy was a recruit and now he's starting. Like Cameron Calhoun could be two years from now. You're like, I'm sorry, he beat out whom? Like this guy beat out Jair Hill or this guy beat out so-and-so? Like could be him. Um, I, I like the way that he plays. Very tough. Uh, seems like he's going to be somebody they can coach up and get what they like out of that guy. And then uh, the other one, uh, the other two guys I wanted to mention was 6'4 athlete out of Youngstown, Jason Hewlett, who looks the part of an edge rusher. Um, so I think Zach Marshall looks the part of an edge rusher, even though he's coming in as a tight end. So does Hewlett. So big bodied guys, like lots of room to expand on their frames. And then uh, the kicker. The kicker needs to be mentioned. Adam Samaha Bell will be expected to come in and probably like soon, like as a freshman, be the kicker. He's got a leg on him. I mean, uh, his dad posted a video of him just booting one out of the stadium in high school. So he's from right there. He's from Yipsy. So he gets to stay home and uh, big shoes to fill for Adam Samaha. But the kicker needs to get some love here. So, um, oh, the other one I, I got to mention. So I said that was the last one. But Kendrick Bell, who is Ronnie Bell's younger brother. He's taller than Ronnie. He's about 6'3", played quarterback in Kansas City, and they said they're going to start him. Jim Harbaugh said, we'll start there, and we'll we'll go from there, and we'll see what happens. Uh, because I like that, actually. I really like that strategy because, like, hey, if he hits as a quarterback and we just happen to, you know, find this three-star gem at the most important position, well, great. But if not, well, we'll find someplace for you. You're a Bell. We saw what we got out of Ronnie Bell. We know the family. We know the type of character we're getting. And we got an extra three inches. So, like, wide receiver, okay. Cornerback, safety, all right, let's talk. Like, I'm excited to see what they do with Kendrick Bell. Really hope that he hits wherever he ends up. Uh, that's all I got for quick hits right now. Let's go ahead and take a quick sponsor break. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The holidays are here, and that likely means a lot of merriment and cheer, but also a lot of discomfort. Canceled flights, sleeping on an airport floor with your own disheveled wardrobe as a pillow, mother-in-law staying over for an extra three days so they can critique the layout of your kitchen, a fun tete-a-tete with your racist uncle who thinks that the cranberry sauce has microchips in it that will track your location. No matter what it is, you need to be comfortable where you can control it. And that's why the Manscaped Platinum Package is here for you. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling performance package, plus the ultra-premium body wash and ultra-premium 2-in-1 shampoo plus conditioner and ultra-premium deodorant. The Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate parts. Plus, both are waterproof, so there's no issue clearing the snow out of your driveway, as we like to say. There's also a 4000K LED light, so you can light the way, much like Rudolph. Now that you've groomed, it's time to make sure you don't smell like an actual reindeer with the Platinum Package shower products. 
All of Manscaped shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. Smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver can have you smelling fresh all day long. Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new Body Buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Andy, part of a back-to-back, you bohemian minstrel traveling from town to town, singing songs of yesteryear and zone-blocking schemes sung by Al Borges. How are you, my friend? (laughs) I'm well, man. We had to double up on the pods this week because I'll be vacationing next week and uh, out of communication, so we wanted to make sure we had a proper TCU breakdown for the Fiesta Bowl before I got out of here. That means things are either going to fall off of a cliff and energy is going to really lack, or you're going to see just some nonsense in the next uh, 20 to 35 minutes. I can't guarantee either, but... Forward we press, sir, and I am looking forward to this. Uh, before we get into it, just to make sure that we stay limber, this is more for me, like for my sake. You ready for a couple quick superlatives, some rapid fire? Yeah, let's get the juice flowing a little bit. Give me your prediction for Cole Cabana next year. Stats. Let's hear it. Uh, Cole Cabana is going to have a good utility role on next year's team. Obviously, this is dependent on Blake Corum's return. I really think he should go pro and will go pro. So I'm going to say he's going to battle for that number two position with CJ Stokes and our boy Khalil Mullings now. But I think he's going to carve out a nice role. I'm thinking about 400 all-purpose yards combined rushing and receiving next year. And you could see him have an impact on special teams as well. So I'm going to say 400 all-purpose yards and two total touchdowns for his freshman season. That is very close to where I had it. I had a random number written down, 436 and three touchdowns. But that's pretty close for just coming out of left field. Your prediction, sir, who is our number one wide receiver next year? Um, Number one wide receiver next year is going to be Cornelius Johnson. We got the first glimpse of it against Ohio State with a four-catch, 160-yard day and two tutties. I think she's going to carry over next year. I think that was a confidence-building performance. We've needed needed it the most this season. He has delivered. You think of the Indiana game, broke it open with that bingo cross route, and then again in the Ohio State game. So I'm really banking on CJ. Man, I've come a long way with him as a player, and I hope to see him continue to ascend next season. 
We both have. I'm still in, uh, I don't know what part or what phase of like a 15-part apology tour, but I think it will be CJ. But this one I'm not quite as certain on. There's certainly room for somebody to overtake him here, but uh, not during the apology tour. Next question. Desmond Howard versus Denard Robinson versus Roman Wilson in a three-man race. Who's coming out on top? Obviously, Desmond in his prime. Oh, I'm taking Desmond Howard in his prime in this one. I'm going to put... Oh, man, this is so tough with the other two. I'm going to go uh, Desmond 1. I am think you have the right order. Desmond 1, because if you watch the punt return against Ohio State, he just has a gear that, like, 35 humans in the history of uh, homeo sapiens have ever had and he just hammers it down so i'm gonna go with desmond one there kind of with a bullet and the next two you can kind of split hairs with so i'm just gonna go with the better hair here and i'm gonna go with denard robinson at two and roman wilson at three Desmond Howard, speed at the hominid position. I agree. You can invest in one franchise. Are you investing in Tim Biakabatuka's eight Bojangles that he currently has scattered throughout the Georgia region? Or are you more of a Thai Law trampoline park guy? 30 locations in Delaware, Rhode Island, all the way down south to Florida. This is my favorite question you've ever asked me. Um, you and I talk frequently about the ben, uh, business ventures of former Wolverines, and we just stumble upon these. Uh, I'm going Ty Law. He almost has 30 franchises now, all spread out, the company he founded. And you and I were first kind of joking that he like runs a trampoline store, and it's like somewhere in a strip mall next to a Kmart and a Peebles. But the fact that it is massively successful all up and down the East Coast, as far west as Illinois, and it is thriving. And I have to say, the next time we go to Ann Arbor together, you and I are going. Yeah, bro. That's our next hangout is the Tyla trampoline park. Like anyone listening, you're invited. I can't believe this is a thing. Not only is it successful, like he's slowly taking over the planet. Like before we know it, it's going to be mostly trampolines. That's how we're going to get from state to state is bouncing on Tyla's trampolines. It's incredible, man. Like, and it's the most random statistic or thing you've ever presented to me. And it's probably my favorite. Um, I mean, let's not discredit the Bojangles that Bianca Batuka currently has going on. Uh, low overhead, uh, very, very quality chicken, uh, I mean, serviceable, uh, clean. Uh, the facilities are excellent. So I don't want to downplay what's going on there, but this is trampoline parks by a wide margin. Yeah, I'm not sleeping on the Bianca Batuka boneless bowls by any means. Like, I'll sign me up any day for those, but I'm more of a trampoline man myself. That's why That's why we still do this podcast. That's why after all these years, you're my boy. Uh, all right, so we have to go back and redo the superlative podcast uh, where we chose Devin Bush if we could have one player. That doesn't feel right anymore. Who is one player, but we can only take him into the championship rounds. One former Harbaugh player for the championship rounds, but you don't get to delineate it. I just need an answer. Oh, God, this is so difficult. Just because of the depth and I worry about injury here, especially with Donovan Edwards, who only has one hand, put Hassan Haskins in there for some depth. I'm going real recent history just off the top of the head. You put him back there. You assure up our entire offense, their identity, and you have that insurance package right behind him. That is the correct answer. I wanted to say Nico Collins. I was trying to get myself there, but with Corum out, that that's... I mean, you're going to just leave him on the table. Or could I get last year's Blake Corum? Like, can I just get... Blake Corbin, that would be lovely. <laughs> Last superlative, sir. Give me your ideal offensive line left to right for next year. Uh, like we just did this in the last podcast. I gave you 11 and a half minutes off and now I'm making you answer this. 
<laughs> I'm coming back in fresh. Uh, give me Hinton at left tackle, the 6'7 behemoth. Give me Keegan and Zenter, both filling up the guards. Give me Henderson either at give me Henderson at right tackle, Ladarius, the transfer from Arizona State. And at center, give me my boy, Greg Crippen. That's what I want Ooh. here. I have a few unknowns. You're going to have battles with Barnhart and Jones. I did leave them both out for transfers, and that's no disrespect. This is just what I think is just better in terms of sheer talent for next season. Man, I really wanted to do something different, but like we've just been talking up Greg Crippen for four and a half years, and I'm just going to abandon him now at his time of need. No, that's not what I do. I cannot. So I agree with you. But uh, just keep an eye on something like weird, like a Zinter to center. Or something like that. Or like a Keegan. Now Keegan to center is too weird. But Ladarius Henderson to center or something like that. Uh, but if not, I'm totally with you. And what does that mean for Carson Barnhart and Trente Jones then? Because that's like, and El Hadi. That's, that's a lot of talent to sit behind those guys. But I digress. Uh, I agree with you on that one. Sir, we came here today. We are gathered here for this back to back and the first one that we've ever done. And I don't know that we'll ever need to do it again, but it needs to be done now because Michigan is in the playoff and it feels a little bit different than the last time we were in the playoff where like we just woke up from a week and a half hangover after the Ohio state game. And all of a sudden we were big 10 champions. And then you and I were like, wait, what, what we're playing Georgia. That's a thing that's happening. feels a little different this year. Give me your 30,000 foot view of TCU versus Michigan, December 31st in Arizona. This is an ideal matchup for Michigan in terms of teams at the top that were in contention for the college football playoff. Just everywhere you look like for a strength, weakness, a glaring matchup that TCU could exploit or Michigan could have exploit, everything keeps coming up maize and blue. And like I tried my best to play devil's advocate, work against things, kind of like we did for the Ohio State game. But it just kept coming back that like this is a great, great matchup for the Wolverines. Look, I'll be as candid as I possibly can be, as I always am with our listeners. Michigan won me some money last year and this year, and I'm sitting on some of that. I'm betting it all on this. I'm doing it. I've decided I'm going for it. Like They've done well, and it's sitting there, and it's like, it's either going to be really awesome or it's not going to be awesome at all. I'm doing it because I'm feeling confident. It is currently a seven and a half point spread. I don't like the vibes coming out of TC. I don't even know where that university is located my cousin goes there but i'm telling you it's in a part of texas you don't want to go to i i don't know what the vibes are but i don't like them and everything coming out of michigan and everything that you just said where you look for advantages like we're trying to find advantages for our opponent i can't find them fort worth catching some strays it's not a bad town (laughs) i've been down there it's terrible but no no this is You're 100% right here, man. Like, it's just one of those where you're going to look around. You don't like the vibes. Max Duggan declaring for the NFL draft, but saying, uh, oh, we're, we're going to finish business first. Then I'm going to go. It's just very weird. A lot of mixed signal kind of energy. I don't like it. It feels honestly a little bit like Michigan last year. TCU this year kind of replicated the success uh, Team 142 had by becoming the first team to start the season unranked, finish it in the playoff. Nobody expected you to be here. So now it just kind of feels like their season's kind of done and they're just basking in the accomplishment of being included in the Final Four. It feels a lot like where we were at last year. Like I said earlier, 
where we just kind of woke up and are like, what happened? Where are we at? That's where they're at this year. And, you know, with the Max Duggan announcement coming when it does, it just feels a little bit weird. So let's look at this actual matchup and why we feel so confident. And uh, I mean, seven and a half points, like I might tease that down to seven. I'm not going to lie because of Max Duggan. But I don't want to start with Max Duggan. Let's start where I think we have the biggest advantage. And that's going to be our offensive line, back-to-back Joe Morrow Ward winners, so not too surprising, against their defensive line. They run a 3-3-5, which there's a lot of variations on the 3-3-5, and you can speak to this better than I can. But I've never been a huge fan of that just in general. It's become a little bit more impactful because some of the athletes that you can put out there at linebacker and the size of guys that can move around. But in general, not a huge 3-3-5 guy. And the way that they deploy theirs it doesn't really frighten me too much because their defensive line isn't like incredible. They don't have any all conference guys on their, their defensive line from left to right. It's Dylan Horton, Dominic Williams, Terrell Cooper. And these guys are pretty good, but not great. Like I've only watched three games. You've watched a couple more than I have. Um, So, I mean, I'll let you speak to this more than I, but like you look at the, their rush defense And it doesn't really play out like these guys are that elite. This is the number 66 rushing defense. Uh, They're more about like stopping huge, gigantic chunk plays, but they also play in the Big 12 where running backs other than Bijan Robinson aren't really a big thing. So I think this is the biggest advantage for us is our offensive line. This is the number five rush offense versus the number 64 rush defense. How do you see it? How do you see this? Yeah, so TCU's three three five, as you can imagine, just knowing me fundamentally as a person, I don't like it all. It is uh, predicated on stopping the pass first and foremost. It's it requires a very unique personnel skill set, and it's just really predicated on taking away the big plays, which to their credit is most of the Big Twelve and like the most physical offensive line they faced this season has really given them some issues. And that's Kansas State. Deuce Vaughn gave them a lot of issues in the Big 12 championship. They were able to contain their uh, attack a little bit earlier in the year, but that's just because Kansas State was under their third-string quarterback. Uh, a lot of TCU fans will point to the success they had against stopping B.J. and Robinson, but Texas's offensive line is not very good. They're not very physical, not very well coached, so they had a big advantage there inside, and they could bring those linebackers down and really crowd the line of scrimmage. Uh, against Michigan, they won't be able to do that. They're going to see things that Michigan does that very few teams in the country do. Michigan's going to have A, B, and C gaps traditionally. They're also going to have D gaps, E gaps, and F gaps with all of the tight ends they can deploy. So they're going to throw a lot of things out there for TCU to cover that they have zero familiarity with, and it's going to be a real test for them to get acclimated at all these foreign looks they haven't seen all season. Because we know Michigan has looks that we haven't seen yet. They keep coming out in every game. I mean, they're planning for 15 game seasons at this point. So Kendry Miller, they're running back. I do really like 216 carries for 1,300 uh, yards this year. 17 touchdowns. Certainly not a scrub. Rushing behind what I think is... I would say it above average offensive line. Like if you had to compare them to say a big 10 offensive line, maybe like the Maryland offensive line, which I think we both walked away from being like, wow, that was, that was like better than we thought. Is that like a fair comp? I don't even know if it's Maryland because Maryland's offensive line was a lot bigger than most. It was kind of deceptively good. good. Uh, But I mean, I think that's a fair point. I think it's a fair place to put them in terms of like production on the field for sure. Okay, So I like Kendra Miller behind a pretty good offensive line. We'll call them slightly above average. 
And I like their ability to run using Max Duggan. But you brought this up a couple weeks ago, like when you were digging into this, like right out of the gate, you were on top of this. Like Max Duggan is not quite the Russian quarterback that you think that he is. I mean, you you watch we, most people watch the Kansas State game. That was the one where I was really dialed in. But up until that, you just kind of assumed he was always like that. That wasn't necessarily the case. So I do think that they'll be able to move on our defensive line, like with some quarterback runs, some like op zone, run, like read options and some stuff outside. But I don't see big chunk plays. Uh, I don't see them to be able to establish between like the tackles with their running back. I think that's still going to be very difficult for him. So that means I think scoring in the red zone, like ultimately will be extremely difficult for him. It, it really will be. So like if you can make TCU one dimensional, which is Michigan's bread and butter as a defensive philosophy, they want, they want to cut away the run. They want to force you just to throw the ball against them. And that's what they're going to aim to do against TCU. So it's like you TCU's offensive line is definitely above average. They're going to do a lot of unique things. They're going to move a lot. They're going to bring a lot of different deceptive looks, some window dressing for Duggan to get on the move and just give you a lot to keep track of. So discipline is going to be a big thing for the defense. If TCU can't hit the big play, though, their offense is going to struggle. They're very mediocre on third down. They don't like the dink and dunk. They're not like Purdue's offense at all. They're not like Ohio State's offense, really. They're more built like Tennessee. So you're going to see a game plan, kind of like what Georgia did to the volunteers, where you're going to make them drive the length of the field, take it nice and slow, not make any mistakes, and really just play controlled and see if they can sustain that. But like you said, when the field shrinks up in the red zone, that's where the game within the game is really going to take place. Absolutely. Like this is going to come down to red zone execution. And I think both you and I feel really strong about that. Uh, let's talk about players that stood out upon your rewatches. Obviously, we'll get to Max Duggan and he deserves his own little aside. Uh, the first guy that I want to talk about is obviously where my eyes, uh, they go every single time. And that's Trevious Hodges Tomlinson. He won the Jim Thorpe Award. So, I mean, obviously deserving of some recognition here, but really exciting to watch. I just like the way that he plays sticky in coverage, very physical, got that dog in him, which is a stat category that we can't quite quantify yet, but we know it exists. He's going to be on Ronnie Bell most of the time, but even when he's not, you need to know where he's at because he has excellent ball skills. Like this guy will stick in the NFL, like just a fun, fun player to watch at cornerback. Yeah, like you said, the Jim Thorpe Award winner, one of the best at just breaking up plays and being disruptive in the back end, kind of just they use him in so many different ways from zone to man and they can really deploy him kind of like a chess piece back there and he just causes a lot of disruption so other players can feast uh safety bud clark leads a team with four interceptions and that's in large part due to what hodges tomlinson does so hodges tomlinson isn't the biggest guy but does a great job creating havoc back there really skilled when the ball's in the air and tcu's defense as a whole like i said is designed to stop the pass they do it they are dependent on turnovers, but not to the degree USC is. TCU is an upgraded version of USC on the defensive end. That's an easy way to think about them. I like that. Yeah, so I kind of asked you off air for a comp, and I was looking for a Big Ten comp, but you went with USC, which I found really interesting because I look at USC and I think pass like very much a, you know, a sophisticated offense that is meant to be precise. It is not based on physicality. 
And I would agree with you there that TCU isn't built on physicality, but I thought that they had a physical element that maybe we're kind of underselling here. Like TCU can play some physical defense. Their offensive line can generate some running in a way that I don't think USC can. So like, well, I see where you're going with your comp and obviously I respect it. I didn't quite see USC. Yeah, I think it's more there because of just the dependence on the quarterback position, dependence on explosive plays, and the defense's sure. dependence on turnovers. But they're definitely an elevated version of yeah. what USC and you did, is. Hence why they're in sure, the playoffs. Yeah, and you said elevated version, so I agree with you there. Uh, next player that really stood out for me on rewatch, uh, and that's going to be Kendra Miller, the running back. This guy was he was in smaller circles being watched coming into the year. I won't say that I was amongst those circles. Like I didn't start paying attention until C TCU was like nine and O, but he's, he's really good. Like a bit of Karan Higdon where he's not like, he's not on the level of Donovan Edwards. He's not on the level of Blake Corum, but he's also got 1300 rushing yards behind what we both just said is a lesser offensive line. So Maybe Karan Higdon's underselling him a little bit. I don't know. How do you feel? Because there, it's also a little bit skewed. Like he he did really well in that Texas game. Like he was the reason they won that. But also there's some other games where he doesn't show up. So what do you feel about Kendry Miller and their rushing attack? Oh, man, I, I loved him early on, and uh, you used the word, I think it was like secret, and it, he, what, he was a the best-kept secret in the Big 12 for a long time. He had a five-game stretch where he went over 100 yards each game. I mean, against West Virginia, he averaged 10 yards a carry. I mean, he was just on an absolute heater there in the middle of the year, but since then, kind of like late Karan Higdon, he's really tailed off. I mean, 41 rushing yards against Baylor, 72 against Iowa State. Granted, that game was a blowout, so I'm not going to hold that one again against them too much and then 82 against Kansas State and their only loss of the season so it seems like the wheels have come off a little bit for him so it's gonna be interesting to see how they utilize him having three weeks off before the bowl game everybody should be fully healthy and uh, that includes Quentin Johnson who was banged up a little bit but I mean who wasn't really going towards the end of the season especially when you go to a conference championship game but expect him back 900 yards receiving uh he's got five touchdowns which for the number one projected receiver they're saying this will be the number one receiver taken on the board that isn't really that insane I mean we've had some guys that have had some some crazy numbers and I mean Ronnie Bell who we said with Desmond had a good year not a great year is only 150 yards and two touchdowns behind that but I think people like the profile of this receiver and I do I'm not like as in love with him as I'm like oh Marvin Harrison I see it what do you feel about Quentin Johnston is this guy like is he just Nico Collins with better publicity <laughs> Dude, you you teed me up so good because I, I just feel like you you really know who I am as a football person. I don't like Quentin Johnson. I I don't. Um, the, I've watched a lot of tape of him. I've really broken it down. I see why scouts can like salivate at the potential. Uh, the production really isn't there for me. The touchdowns, which is a number I really pay attention to, isn't there with five. Uh, very average, a uh, very thin frame. He's kind of wiry, more like the Kool-Aid Randy Moss version or like uh, the Kroger version of Randy Moss. Um, it's, it's still a big play threat. Don't get me wrong. I'm not demeaning any of like that, but I'm splitting hairs at the top here. When you're putting his name with uh, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, players like that, he's just not in the same class as those guys. Like He can do a couple things really well, but he, he's not this world beater that certain people are making him out to be. 
I fully agree, and I definitely teed you up, and I'm so glad that you came through on that. We didn't prep for that. I like him, but put Will Johnson on him. I mean, he's 6'4", so that's one thing that he's got going, but Will Johnson's big. Like, Will Johnson is rangy as hell. Dude could play basketball if he wanted, so fascinated, fascinated by this matchup because uh, we had Desmond Howard on, and the coolest thing any person's ever said on any podcast in the history of podcasts was him talking about how he shut off the water and just choked out Marvin Harrison Jr. on that first play and like what that meant. So now he gets Quentin Johnston. Like, bring this on. I am, I cannot wait. My eyes will lock in on this instantaneously. The the biggest thing with this matchup for the Michigan secondary is this is the fastest total receiving core they're going to face all season. Like, I think TCU probably has the fastest overall, them or Tennessee, in terms of just complete team speed as a unit because as good as Ohio State's receivers were Abuka is not a burner Harrison Jr. is not a burner these guys are all very fast so it's important for players like DJ Turner who's going to be guarding the quick 4-3 secondary option for them to not try to gamble with his speed it's going to be about the fundamentals and really about the eye discipline so it's like I'm not worried about Will then the, the Johnston the Johnston battle out there for the namesake I'm more worried about Michigan second uh, corners kind of gambling against their speedy second option that is a great insight i did not even really start to think about that because i didn't watch too much of their secondary receivers do we know about what quentin johnston's supposed to run at the combine do we have that yet i mean if it's coming from their university He's- it's not going to be reliable I, I think the projections are floating around four four. Uh, wow. The highest optimist I've seen is four three, but I would put no it at four way. four. There's no way. I mean, I, I've like I said, I've only watched three games. I haven't watched every Quentin Johnston route, and it, against Kansas State, he was hobbled. So, like, all I've seen is Texas and Oklahoma State. But four three. If he had four three, and you have Max Duggan, who's a Heisman candidate, shouldn't he have more than nine hundred yards receiving? Like. Or five touchdowns. Five t- it's yeah, like- it's the secondary. Yeah. It's the secondary guys that worry me, the Tay Barbers, the Darius Davis. Those guys are more concerning because they have the less yards. I mean, uh, Johnson almost doubles up the nearest guy and right around the similar touchdown. So those are the ones you got to watch and worry about because I'm really confident uh, Will Johnson can take Quentin out of the equation. So it's time we start thinking about a nickname for him. And I think we need to use what we heard from Terry Two Sticks as inspiration. But like he shuts off the water. So like there needs to be something like that. So. Like he's like the drought king or something like that. I don't know, but let's let's work on this. Will Johnson's going to need a nickname and it can't wait until, you know, year three. It needs to happen like this offseason. So we have some work to do. But uh, look, last point on this Quentin Johnston thing. If you ran a four three, why do you only have three rushing attempts for negative seven yards? Like if we had a four three receiver, do you know how many rushing yards they would have? Like we use A.J. Henning. He runs like a four four five or something like that. And we use him and he has more rushing yards than that. Like, I'm just not buying that. They're overselling Quentin Johnston. They're not overselling Max Duggan. So let's get into that. That's like the last player I wanted to touch on. Obviously, this is the guy that stands out the most. And this is the guy I don't have really a lot of shade to throw. In fact, I have no shade to throw. I really like this player. I would have voted him for the Heisman. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's descendant from this legendary dude that like pulled seven people out of an exploding mine in Butte, Montana in like 1890. You should go look it up. Manus Duggan. They're a wild, wild bunch from from Ireland. Pretty sure this guy has like crazy heritage and could probably out drink me already. But 
as overrated as you and I talked about Quentin Johnston, Max Duggan is not overrated. He is in the Himothy Chalamet, the Himka Beasel kind of range. And all you needed to know this was to watch the Big 12 Championship and single-handedly watch him will that team to overtime to have a chance to beat Kansas State. Like, uh, just like, I, I don't know, it's like he has that Tim Tebow leadership energy where he's going to do anything to get it done. Just a, for a team first player, you have to root for his story from where he's come from and his progression throughout his college career. Uh, 30 touchdowns, four picks on the year, extremely accurate for the high volume he throws at. And yeah, man, he's an absolute weapon. And this is where Michigan's battle is going to be. I love that comparison. Basically a Tim Tebow that believes in fossil evidence. So I really like this player. I, <laughs> I really think that he should have won the Heisman. Uh, it's not like insane numbers, uh, but the leadership is what you just touched on there. And I hate to use this term because we said that we were going to turn off our televisions when Joel Klatt was saying it, but like the grit, the determination, like those are like the stupid buzzwords that come to mind when you think about this player, because the Kansas state game, like he passed out like I did when I watched AJ Henning touch that punt that I, well, he didn't touch that, <laughs> punt, but you know what I'm talking about? Like he passed out in the end zone. He could not physically stand up. And then they're like, all right, all right. Well, yeah, let's go for two. Like seconds later, no one's going to question this kid's grit, toughness, all that nonsense. But where's his head at? He just declared for the draft. We kind of touched on that, like weird time to declare for the draft. Can he actually pass the ball like with precision against an elite secondary? Eh, I don't know. Like, look at the Texas game. I mean, look at a, look at a lot of the games and like look at some of the defenses that they play in the Big 12. And where are you pointing out elite secondary play? That's one point. And then the point that you brought up is he's not quite the rushing threat that you think he is. If you only watched a few games, which I am guilty of. No. And, and the one thing though, I will say about Max Duggan's rushing abilities, he's a very timely rusher and a very smart rusher. So like if your defensive pass rush is not disciplined, they're outside of assignment. They're not like holding their contain. He will gash you for 35 yards before you can blink because one, he is deceptively fast. Like he can turn on the burners Two, He is very smart about when he runs, where he runs and how he gets down on the field. And three, he's not afraid. Max Duggan is going to be here and play like an absolute hero, win, lose, or draw. And it's something you have to admire about him. Like you said, he had the same Jared energy of collapsing from oxygen because he was, you were too excited. He was just, you know, gassed from playing a football, football game. But still, the results were the same. So, yeah, man, Duggan's an absolute warrior. And it's going to take a very disciplined and just cerebral effort from Michigan to contain him for all four quarters because he is like the undertaker. As soon as you think TCU's dead, he is rising up for the pin. There was literally no difference between what happened to Max Duggan and what happened to me. We are both competitors and also uh, editors. You know, <laughs> uh, he goes to Texas Christian. I really doubt he believes in fossil evidence either. So they're basically, he basically is Tim <laughs> Um All right. So any other like, offense versus defense any other matchups that we haven't touched on i think the johnson versus johnston uh jj mccarthy versus this secondary i don't really look at as much of a matchup i like trivius hodges tomlinson but it, this is no, in no way the best secondary that we've gone up against illinois has that honor there is one really good cornerback there but it's not the best cornerback we've gone up against as well so what do you see about that matchup 
it's going to be very interesting. So their whole defense is predicated on forcing turnovers. And if JJ is going to take what they give him, or if Michigan can run the ball, if Michigan can establish the run early on, this game is over. I mean, it is going to be over before the first quarter is complete, no matter what the score is, if they're averaging five or six yards early on in this game. Uh, so they have to sell out to do that. And if they're going to do it, they're going to open up those one-on-one matchups so the safeties can't hover back there and play ball hawk or tip drill. So McCarthy has been playing really smart, aside from the one uh, – respectful hero gunslinger throw against Purdue and the triple coverage. But sometimes you just live with those because he is a 19 year old, but uh, throughout most of the year, he's been very smart with ball placement running this West coast style offense. And now he's hitting the big plays. So I think he is going to be his like progression throughout the year. And having seen the Ohio state game makes me feel really comfortable with him going against this ball hawking type of secondary. I like that you labeled it a uh, respectful gun gunslinger throw because it is that look, we will, we will always treat JJ with the respect that he has earned and deserved. I agree with you, man. Uh, I think that he's going to be able to attack this defense in a number of ways, but it comes down to what you said initially, if we're running the ball and we're running the ball early and we're running the ball effectively, it's going to be very difficult for them to adjust to that as it's been difficult for anyone to adjust to that, that punch in the mouth, like, that sets the tone of the game. And obviously we know we're not going to have quorum for this, so it's going to be Edwards, but we expect two-handed Donovan Edwards. We expect CJ Stokes, who's had some time to maybe, you know, get some weight on him, maybe take a few more carries, make sure that the the stickum is extra tight. Uh, and Kalel Mullings is a guy that I've got insane focus and, and eyes on right now as a physical back that could be like a three to four yard punch and really hit you in the mouth could be the uh, the right hand hook to the left hand jab of Donovan Edwards. So that's something that I'm keeping an eye on, and that's going to open things up for for play action because that's obviously how this Michigan team wants to play. Let's not pretend that we're you know revealing something interesting or new here. But where are those shots downfield coming? Who are the players that they're really targeting? That is going to be interesting. I have to imagine that hierarchy probably starts with. Actually, I'm going to go a little wild here. Starts with Colston Loveland, then goes Ronnie Bell, and then maybe goes Donovan Edwards, Roman Wilson territory, Cornelius Johnson. How do you feel about that hierarchy? I like it. We got to put CJ a little higher just because of the the respect we have to pay that corner post. He ran against Ohio State with the head and shoulders fake. Um, But yeah. That's that's where it's going to be, man. It's going to be those receivers out there. Loveland is just getting better. I mean, he seems like the number one right now for McCarthy, but it would not surprise me to see Michigan come out in this one in 13 personnel, those big-ass tight ends out there, and just see how TCU handles it, where their confusion is going to come from, where they're going to place their linebackers, and just early on, start that chess match. Start wearing them down with those body blows because, as you, as you said so eloquently, you're going to have the right hook of one, the left hook, of another and Kalel Mullings is a load and that two touchdown performance against Purdue I think was only an indicator of things to come in the CFP I'm not saying Hassan Haskins like 2.0 or anything like that but just there's some breadcrumbs here like just keep an eye on this Kalel Mullings situation and if he has a good game against TCU uh, let it be known that we are not surprised Uh, if there's nothing else sir I think we need to get to players of the game and predictions which I am I cannot believe it's time like we're doing this a couple weeks out so like now you've got me really excited for a game that we still have to wait a little bit for but nonetheless it's time all right sir let's dive in I'm gonna 
I'm going to gladly go first and set the tone. It's going to be a little long-winded, but it's the biggest game of the season. You can't hold anything back now. Uh, Michigan, offensively, the team strategy is simple. I'm going to quote my boy Al Borges, pound their ass, run the football, run the football, and do it again. This defense tends, tends to wear down a little bit throughout the game, and if Michigan can establish that tone early with these offensive linemen and Donovan Edwards coming at you a million miles an hour, it's going to make life hell for them as early as the third quarter. Uh, secondly, protect the football. The Horn Frogs live and die by the turnovers. They love. They live for the chaos, especially late in games, to re- make all these comebacks and rally in the big moments. So take care of the football. And three, take care. Take what the defense gives you because the defense is going to play these big plays, and McCarthy's been very smart about taking the opportunistic four, five, seven-yard gains. You don't need to get greedy. Trust the run, even if it's not there early on. Just be patient with it, because it's going to do a few things. One, it's going to keep Max Duggan off the field. If he's off the field, he can't hurt you. He is the best player when he is on the field, and in if he's on the sidelines, he's on the sidelines. He's doing as much damage as Alex Orgy is in this game. So control the football, protect it, and keep him off the field. And lastly, for the offense, finish them. TCU never dies. They've rallied from 14 down in the final quarter against Oklahoma State. They rally against Kansas State. They rally against everybody because that's their identity. They're going to fight to the last drop. So you have to do what Junior Colson does. You have to make the light in their eyes go out. And Michigan can do that with that steady running game. Uh, defensively, make TCU one-dimensional. Build that run wall like you've done all season with those big bodies. And as talented as Michigan's defensive line is, I think they can do it with minimal guys, four people, and they can really build that wall against that offensive line. Uh, Secondly, eliminate the big play. Just like Ohio State, make TCU go the length of the field. Make them dink and dunk and put together these drives. And be patient, something they really struggle with. They dominated in time of possession against Texas and only had 17 points to show for it. They love the big plates. A Sonny Dykes team, that's what they do. And lastly, you need to contain the quarterback. You have to contain Max Duck. And you can't get greedy with sacks. You need to hold your position keep him in check, keep him in the pocket, keep him looking down and confused and rattled and don't give him any obvious rushing lanes. This is going to come with eye discipline, especially from the safeties and corners. You can't have DJ Turner or Rod Moore biting up or playing off or just getting greedy for interceptions. Just be smart, be disciplined. Lastly, hit Max Duggan like hell. Make him real uneasy back there. A steady dose of blitzes, exotics, out of zone, out of man. Just give him a bunch of different looks that they're not ready for and be very physical with him. So when he steps up in the pocket, he has to prepare for a Mozzie Smith right in his lap, and that could adjust the pass one to two to three inches, and that could be the difference in taking away the big plays. Offensively, my player of the game, it's going to be the Outland and Remington Award winner. It's Olu Oluwatimi. I think he's going to set the tone against this 3-3-5. He is going to demolish that nose tackle in the center and, and just systematically break down the defense from the inside out. Defensively, my player of the game is going to be Jalen Harrell. He's been excellent in coverage, really good at tackles for loss and getting better at the sack. But his edge presence, just setting contain every play, being smart, not getting too far upfield is going to be critical in taking away Max Duggan's rushing ability. And also on defense, I'm going to go with a big junior Colson game. He's going to have a lot of assignments this game. Could be him, could be Barrett, but I'm going to go with the more experienced and better player in Colson and shutting down the run and taking away Duggan as a quarterback spy. Being very smart in the middle of the field is going to be huge to this game. 
I love the defense. I love the offensive matchups. The average score in the two, three games since the college football playoff began in 2014 is roughly 41 to 17. We know Michigan got smoked last year. This year, we return the favor. Michigan is going to take this thing 45-24. Sir, the skeletons of John F. Kennedy and Dwight D. Eisenhower just saluted. I've never heard anything better in my entire life. (laughs) That was incredible. How long have you been rehearsing that? Uh, I've not been rehearsing it, but I told you, I've been breaking down TCU tape since the conference championship weekend. That was unbelievable, sir. I have a tear in my right eye and in my left eye, a design on trying to match it with a knowledge that I never could. That was brilliant. Uh, I was trying to like frantically take notes to keep up to try to be like, oh, I got to touch on that. And then I was like, no, no, just let it happen. Let him cook. It was like every every meme <laughs> that we've ever seen. Just let him cook. This is this is his moment. Uh, that was that was incredible, sir. So uh, you're completely right. I didn't get down though. Who was your player on offense? I was too busy just uh, being in awe of what you were what you were spitting. <laughs> Uh, player was Olu on offense Olu. and defense was the co-award to Harrell and uh, Junior And Coulson. you got it 45-23. I got it. God, that was beautiful, sir. Uh, I don't know. We may have to we may have to edit out some of my reactions. That's all right. I found out you can do a beep noise pretty easily in this. So we'll just do that. But that was that was delightful, sir. <laughs> Let me attempt to follow that up, which is like attempting to follow up Tom Hanks's 94-95 run. But on offense, you started out by saying that why not start out on the ground? I couldn't agree more, sir. Like, that's where you should start this thing. You should try to make them stop what you have done all season long. And that is run this and that's run it with heavy personnel. Totally agree with you there. If they can stop that, then you go on. You go forward from there. You should go into this as though you're the bully and they are the bully E or the one being bullied. So with that in mind, I think that. The Donovan Edwards, Khalil Mullings pairing sounds quite delightful early on. I think that we should scatter that in. But then at the same time, there's a very good chance they try to fall or don't try to, but do fall into that Ohio State trap. And if you fall into that Ohio State trap, there's going to be stuff open down the field. So I think Michigan's going to be able to be opportunistic here just by doing what they've always done. Sonny Dykes is an excellent coach and obviously like, it may sound as I'm not giving him his due credit, like he won't figure this out. It's not that he won't be able to figure it out. It's that they won't be able to stop it because of the advantage of our offensive line against their defensive line. And it's going to come down to matchups like I really like Trivius Hodges Tomlinson against any of our wide receivers one on one. But like, can their other receivers cover Colston Loveland or Donovan Edwards, God forbid, like good luck. I don't see that much like you said, you're concerned with some of their secondary receivers against some of our other cornerbacks. I see it kind of the same way. It's like, do they have the depth in their linebacker and cornerback rooms to keep up with Colston Loveland, Donovan Edwards? I mean, I'm maybe we're a little high on Kalel Mullings after like one sighting, but I'm going to throw him in there. Um, but also Schoonmaker, also Cornelius Johnson, who still I'm apologizing for. Also, maybe like this time gives Darius Clemens or Andrew Anthony or Tyler Morris one of these three wide receivers that were just begging to hit time to to develop. So I, I really like our ability to score, to move it on offense, to get into the end zone. 
Let's move over to the other side where on defense, I think that I like this even more outside of the Max Duggan matchup. I like Will Johnson on Quentin Johnson, who you and I just talked about is not overrated. Well, it is he is effort, whatever. He's overrated. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're not here for half measures. He's overrated. So I like the ability of junior Colson, like you said, to be able to shut off the water of their senior running back, who I do really like, whose name escapes me because I don't have it up right now. And now I'm on a rant. And once the rant has begun, and once I have begun to speak, I cannot nor will not stop <laughs> until my point is delivered. So it will continue. It will come down to Max Duggan and his ability to just be that dog. And this goes beyond any analysis that you can put out there. If it's 35 to 17 and we think we can coast and Max Duggan still has life and there's 14 minutes left in this game or something like you just can't do that in this game. They have the horses to keep up. It's like a more physically adept Purdue team. It's like if Purdue were more physical and had a better running attack, like you can't sleep on them. You just can't. And I, and their quarterback is the crux of that. So that being said, let's get into my predictions here on defense. I really like your predictions and man, that I want to steal them, but I think I have to go with my gut and say that will Johnson's shutting off that water. He's going to shut off Quentin Johnston's water. And once they become one dimensional and it's Max Duggan trying to run and it's their running back trying to, you know, go through the A and B gap and we can stack the boxes against them. That really doesn't that doesn't bode well for them on defense. Will Johnson with a big Mozzie Smith game and then moving over to offense. <sighs> this is where it gets tough. Colston Loveland. Colston Loveland. I don't want to steal this one from you, brother, but this is going to be a Colston Loveland game. I think that he is a huge mismatch. Two touchdowns in this one, which makes JJ McCarthy honorable mention, but JJ McCarthy to Colston Loveland for two touchdowns. You win as far as the soliloquy. Uh, that was the most beautiful thing that I've ever heard. Uh, I like your prediction. <laughs> I've got it 41-27. I see it very similar to you. And... I mean, according to us, this is this is this is Michigan's chance to really make a run at this thing. Yeah, if Michigan loses this game, uh, the season won't be a disappointment by any means. Thirteen and one, most single wins in a Michigan season ever, but it will be a disappointing finish because this is a very great matchup for them on paper. Even looking ahead for the revenge game against Georgia, everything is kind of unfolding the way Michigan would have drawn it up if they could have at the beginning of the season. So you have to take advantage of this. Like your time is now. You got to make the light in their eyes. Go out, do it for all four quarters, and just. Bull them over like you've done everybody else this season. Sir, this has been an absolute pleasure. I don't think anybody is going to have a breakdown quite like that. So uh, props to you and enjoy your vacation, sir. We will fill in the gaps without you, whatever happens from here to then. But that prediction and that soliloquy will uh, echo throughout history. And I and I say that with all seriousness, sir. All right, that's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. I'm Jared. That was Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.